Welcome to Raz Talk, the podcast on recirculating aquaculture systems and sustainable food production. Brought to you by Raz Tech, the premier publication for Raz professionals. Welcome to this episode of Raz Talk. I'm your host, Brian Vinci, Director of the Conservation Fund's Freshwater Institute. Raz Talk co host Katerina Muya will not be able to join this month as she is busy planning Raz Tech events for all of us in the industry to attend and participate in. In today's Raz Talk episode, we will do a deep dive into aquaponics. Aquaponics is often described as the combination of recirculating aquaculture with hydroponics, many favored as the ultimate circular food production system, utilizing waste from the production of fish to be used as nutrients for production of plants like leafy greens and tomatoes. I remember when I was studying aquaculture engineering in graduate school and learning about aquaponics, I asked two of my professors what they thought about it. One professor was an expert in controlled environment agriculture and specifically hydroponics and greenhouses. He responded by saying, hydroponics was already complicated. Why in the world would you add recirculating aquaculture to it? The other professor was an expert in recirculating aquaculture systems, specifically RAS for tilapia. He responded by saying, recirculating aquaculture was already complicated. Why in the world would you add hydroponics to it? After a little discussion with both, I learned that they were most concerned with trying to match the outputs of the recirculating aquaculture system to the required inputs of the hydroponics. They told me, you'd need 10 times as much hydroponics as fish production to match the outputs and inputs. Since then, I have seen aquaponics operations of various sizes around the world, but all have much larger plant growing areas in relation to the amount of fish growing areas. So I guess my professors were right. But the aquaponics model is still appealing and is an example of the circular food systems that we'll need for a sustainable future. Currently, there are a few moderate to large aquaponics operations running in the United States. There's Superior Fresh in Wisconsin, Springworks Farm in Maine, and Traders Hill Farm in Florida. Today, we are fortunate to be joined by Tracy Nazaro of Traders Hill Farm. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Tracy is a principal and president for Traders Hill Farm an aquaponics greenhouse farming operation in Hilliard, Florida, that produces leafy greens and tilapia year-round. The farm is the largest aquaponics enterprise in the southeastern United States and is proud to be the first aquaponics operation to receive safe quality food level three status. Tracy joined the Traders Hill Farm in late 2015 in the role of chief financial officer as the company embarked on a significant expansion of its aquaponics operation. Before joining Trader Hill Farm in late 2015, Tracy was a certified business analyst with the University of North Florida, SBDC, where she provided strategic advisory and financial consulting services to businesses in Nassau County, Florida. As a VP of Aldebaran Partners, Tracy developed a comprehensive brand strategy for the launch of True Edge Entertainment, an integrated media company that serves its audience through films, online social games and networking, as well as retail products. Prior to her work with True Edge Entertainment, she was Director of Operations and Administration for M60 Media, LLC, which markets the American stock lifestyle brand, both on a mass retail basis and direct to consumers. Trained as an international investment banker at Communications Equity Associates, Tracy was responsible for business development for the company's Pacific Rim operation, headquartered in Hong Kong. Prior to joining Communications Equity Associates, She was a personnel consultant for Southern Research Services, where she specialized in career placement services for chemical and electrical engineers. Client companies included Wilson Greatbach, Duracell, and Medtronics. Tracy graduated from the University of South Florida in 1991. 
Now, Tracy, you probably don't run into too many people who know who Wilson Greatbach is, but if I'm not mistaken, uh, he's the inventor of the pacemaker. He is. He is the inventor of the lithium battery that oh. um, powers the pacemaker. Thank I'm very you. impressed, Brian. <laughs> well, it, as I recall, he's one of uh, Cornell University's most notable alumni, my alumni. So, Tracy, let's start by having you tell the Traders Hill Farm story, how it started and um, its uh, production and just the overall marketing of the product. So our, our mission at Traders Hill Farm is to help people live their best lives by providing access to locally and sustainably grown food. Um, we launched commercial operations in 2015 with a small aquaponics greenhouse system. It has a plant capacity of 20,000 uh, plants a month, so it produces about 5,000 pounds a month of leafy greens. And then shortly thereafter in 2017, we decided that that was our, what we call our beta system. It worked, worked really well. So decided to quadruple that output. So we, we, we embarked on this mission for to build a larger greenhouse. Um, and then in 2017, we opened this larger facility which today produces about 25,000 pounds across the, the whole facility um, a month of leafy greens. So we, we grow um, head lettuce here, um, mostly green romaine lettuce and um, a, a few specialty supporting lettuces. And it's all powered um, via aquaponics um, through, our, through our tilapia operation. So I have three different um, aquaponic systems that, that, that power this, this hydroponic growing operation. We have about 3,000 fish that, that power that. Um, our, our market is mostly food service. I would say your professors were absolutely right in terms of the ratio of what is required for your fish operation and your hydroponic growing operation. That was one of the lessons I would say we learned the hard way. Um, initially, when we designed the facility, it was contemplated to be more of a 50-50, that we would be selling a lot of fish and also be selling produce. We realized that, that the business model that works best for us is that we're a produce first company. So we're, we feel we're in the produce business, but our growing method is, is the aquaponics. So we have been carefully paring back our aquaculture operation to match the infrastructure that we have built for our, for our hydroponic operation. I would say initially we were way overbuilt. We probably could have powered another six or seven acres of greenhouses with, with what we had built. Um, those fish are, they're, they're pretty powerful in, in, in what they can produce. Our process is we are, we are a coupled system. I, I know that that's a, that's in, in the industry, it's do you, or do you run a coupled system or do you run a decoupled system? We run a coupled system. It works really well for us and it works really well for what we're growing. So because we're growing head lettuce, because we're growing the leafy greens and our market is such that, you know, we have one acre that's just green romaine and it's, it's all sold. I mean, we can grow other products um, in this system, uh, my experience has been that leafy greens grow the best. Um, so, but, but you get a pretty nice variety of what you can grow within, within that category. So we grow, we currently are growing the green romaine and then we have a specialty house that's um, red leaf, green leaf, uh, butterhead and red romaine. 
Um, but we have also grown, um, we've grown spring mix, we've grown some baby leaf. We have also grown pak choy grows great in this system and a, and a lot of herbs. Other things that will grow really well, you can grow um, things like kale. Challenge with kale is it requires a lot more iron and you end up, we would end up adding a lot more iron that our, that our other leafy greens don't, don't need. Swiss chard also grows really well. Um, the process that supports our operation is uh, we have the tilapia. We use tilapia for a number of reasons. Um, one is our infrastructure is not overly sophisticated. So it, tilapia works really well for the, for the infrastructure that we have. Um, we're based in Florida and tilapia are warm water fish. Our waters get pretty warm in the summertime and the tilapia have no challenges with the warm water. And quite honestly, they do pretty well in the temperature fluctuations. They also do really well in close quarters and they're pretty hardy fish. Also very low protein eaters. So from a sustainability standpoint, I'm not raising fish to feed fish. And, um, and, and the feed that we use, we use a milled feed. Um, we use a milled feed by Purina that's milled to, to be a little lower on the, on the protein. Um, so that really works well for us. We have looked at other fish um, such as um, the hybrid striped bass which would bring a higher price point for us, but um, requires a little more care and maintenance. Um, and it is also a, a higher protein, which would prior protein eaters. So it would require us to, um, to, have, a, to have a look at our, our mass balance calculations to determine how we would need to change our fish feed ratios. But we're pretty happy with the tilapia. Um, so the process is they're fed that really high quality diet and then that waste, which is very high in ammonia, goes through our treatment plant, which does the conversion from a wastewater into a nutrient solution. So currently we have a two phase filtration. Um, so we filter out um, the, the heavy solids, super heavy solids, that sludge that doesn't need to go into your system. Currently. We're looking at uses for that. Right now we are, we have an offtake every day and it goes to my neighbor who, who's working on a compost project. So he's adding it to his horse manure and cow manure to come up with a composting project. So there, there perhaps is some value to that sludge, but it, I don't need it in my hydroponic system. So we have a two phase filtration and actually we're looking to add a third phase to that. Um, and then and then that water moves into our Caldas media tank and that's where the nitrification happens. So nitrification in our system happens with the help of beneficial bacteria and Caldas media, which has, um, which has a lot of surface area. So when you look at what the IP is um, here at Traders Hill, a lot of it is, is encompassed in, the, in that mass balance. It is encompassed in the weight of the fish, versus how much they're being fed versus the cubic feet of coldest media to make that nitrification happen. Um, then once that water becomes um, high in nitrates, then it flows out through our plants. Um, we do have um, very large pools. Each pool is um, 3,200 uh, square feet. So on, on property, we have, we have 32,000 square feet of, of, of growing area. And, um, and they are fully planted all the time because it's those roots that further um, help filter that water. And then it recirculates back to the fish and starts all over again. We do manage our nutrients quite carefully. So at least every week we run a full 
um, nutrient panel. So we track um, 12 different nutrients. Um, a, a lot of farms just track the, the EC, the electrical conductivity, but, but we go ahead and track the, the, a full nutrient panel. So we track 12 nutrients and we've established a min-max where we wanna stay for our, for our plants and what's growing. And then additionally, we're tracking um, other, you know, the dissolved oxygen, the pH, water temperature, um, and of course, ammonia for in our fish tanks. How many staff do you have there at Traders Hill Farm? So currently we're staffed. We have 13 full-time team members. Um, I have six part-time. And then we do run a summer internship program every summer. The internship program is, um, it's really important to me. I, I, I really enjoy having the interns um, here. Um, we run anywhere from one intern the last two years because of COVID, um, we've only had one intern each summer, but I, I can do up to up to four. In an ideal summer, we have two interns that have just graduated from high school and are college bound. And then two that are in college that have an academic major that somehow relates to the farm. So it can be anything from um, biology, chemistry, engineering, horticulture, marine science. So that's always summertime's a lot of fun for us. We are in the farming business. Um, your margins are not fabulous. I mean, we're not a software company. We're we're not we're not nobody's driving a Lexus here, and there's no cappuccino machine in our in our office. So we try and keep our staff as slim as we can for the jobs we need to do. Yeah, that's wonderful. You're hearing about your intern program. We we also have an intern program that's been put on. Hold essentially because of COVID, we only have one intern on right now, and, and that person is um, working remotely. Uh, so it's a little disappointing. Hopefully, we'll get back to those days when we can have interns on site like you. Um, you mentioned that a bunch of your, uh, or a couple of your interns will have academic studies in a range of things from engineering to horticulture. And I think that's that's what's uh, kind of cool about uh, aquaponics is that it touches on all these areas from the plant side to the fish side to the water treatment side. So that's kind of neat. Tracy, when I was doing my research for this episode, I noted that Traders Hill has achieved various certifications listed on your website, including the safe quality food status. Could you describe SQF? I'm not really familiar with it and why you felt it was important to pursue that certification. Yeah, so the SQF is part of the, um, the, the Global Food Safety Initiative uh, food safety scheme. So it's part of your global gap. And, and it is a very rigorous food safety scheme. Um, but for us and where we want to be and our, and our plans, um, it was really important for us right out of the gate um, to achieve that, to achieve and maintain that certification. I have a business partner who has the mantra of go big or go home. So we just went right to the most difficult thing we could do. So um, the SQF food safety scheme, what it entails, it's, it is a very comprehensive um, food safety plan that, um, that was it's written and developed specifically for our farm. And once you develop this plan, then there's a, the plethora of documentation that, that is required from the staff to maintain that. And it's everything from, we have to certify all our, all our suppliers. We have a tracking system that tracks our seeds um, from receipt. Um, when we receive the seeds, when they go into our, into our seed nursery, 
right down to who took them out of the nursery, which pool they were planted in, who harvested that, where did it go in the pack house, into which box and went to what, to what customer. And then it also tracks all of our hygiene practices and it, and it encompasses both the, the horticulture operation and the aquaculture operation. So it's a very vigorous um, food safety plan, um, but our team lives it. That's, that's our number one core value is to live safety. So we live that. We are very mindful that we are selling food to the public. Our market, we sell to two large um, K-12 school systems in the state of Florida. I sell to two large universities through our partner at Airmark. So food safety is very important to us. It is audited. So um, every year there's a representative from a third-party auditing agency who comes and spends two days on the farm um, reviewing that plan to ensure that we, um, that we live that plan. Um, so we follow the SQF food safety scheme as does um, Superior Fresh. We feel, both our companies feel that it is important to be those leaders in food safety. There are people who have questions about the safety of aquaponics. And um, we have had to do quite a bit of education to groups like FDA, USDA, Florida Department of Agriculture on um, the, the safety of, of aquaponics in, in the way that we manage our aquaponics operation. So we, we even, we designed our facilities for food safety. So our fish operation in a completely, and our, and our treatment facility is in a completely separate building than the horticulture operation. They're only linked by that nutrient water that flows underneath the plants. That food safety has a, is, that's the golden ticket to, to sell to anyone. Most of my products go out through um, Cisco Food Service, you know, probably the nation's largest uh, food service distribution company. Um, they go out through Cisco Food Service. They go, they go to the universities through Airmark. We can sell the hospitals. So it's, it's, it's very important to us and it is, and it is something that we live. SQF sounds like a, a, a great plan and uh, standard to follow. But what about the USDA organic standard? Do Traders Hill Farm products meet the organic standard or um, is it just the SQF? So right now it's just the SQF. Aquaponics by its very nature is a very organic process. And any products that we use on our farm are all OMRI certified. The Achilles heel I have for me to achieve the, for Traders Hill Farm, to achieve the USDA organic certification is the grow media that we use. So we are currently using rock wool and which is not a, a USDA certified growing medium. We do have several research projects going underway to look at other mediums that are, that are USDA organic certified. Superior Fresh is USDA organic certified and they, they did that right out of the gate. For us, that rock wool is, it really comes down to the germination of, of the plants. Um, it, it's a superior growing media for, in terms of germination. So we use rock wool, we use um, the, the sheets of 200 counts. And I, when, I, when we put our seeds in there, we get 200 count. Um, I've, we've been trialing other media and they haven't, I haven't gotten that level of, of germination yet. We have a horticulture associate and that's one of her projects is, is trialing different, different mediums. 
we haven't found it yet. <laughs> yeah, that, that's interesting. So as I recall, the USD organic standard for greenhouse production originally did not allow soilless growing. And recently that changed. Is that correct? That is correct. And this, that was a, um, that was a hard fought uh, battle would, would be an understatement. Um, and it had been going on for more than a decade where, where there was not a definitive um, ruling on whether hydroponics or aquaponics could be USDA certified organic. And over that period, there had been companies like Superior Fresh who had achieved organic USDA organic certification. And it had come to a point where USDA was like, okay, we need a definitive ruling. They, they pushed the can down the road. There was three or four years where every meeting, they just said, we'll decide next meeting. And there's two annual meetings. So in October of 2018, they did finally, they did finally make that definitive ruling that hydroponics and aquaponics would be permissible to get the USDA organic certification. At the time, they disallowed aeroponics and they kicked down the can down the road for containers. And to be honest, I'm not sure where containers stand right now. And it's kind of back on the table. There's a, there's a contingent of organic farmers that, that feel very strongly and deeply that that organic certification is, is tied to soil and that that's the catalyst. And because companies like Trader Soil Farm, we don't grow in soil, we should be disallowed. But over the years, the term organic has, has greatly broadened. And, and I think USDA was very right and correct for allowing the hydroponics and, and aquaponics to, to have the USDA organic. I, I think it just, it opens up for consumers. It just, it opens up many more options for them. And I, and I, I think it's a good thing for the, for the industry. And I think it's a good thing for the consumers. Yeah, I would agree. And in the recirculating aquaculture uh, industry, we would very much like to see the USDA organic standard um, finalized and promulgated for the aquaculture side, because it's very likely that the RAS systems would uh, easily qualify under the organic standard. But that has languished for um, for years now, and uh, we'll see if there's any progress um, over the next three years under this new administration. That would I would be very beneficial to be able to have the organic fish, um, but I do know that. USDA is a slow moving boat. <laughs> yeah. And, and there are lots of uh, growers and stakeholders there. So um, everybody uh, should have a chance to be heard there. Uh, you've already mentioned quite a bit about your uh, systems and, and your technology. And uh, the listeners really like to hear about that the coupled or decoupled and how you're handling the waste. Um, it sounds like your heavy waste uh, goes over to um, compost, uh, which is excellent. In terms of the fish side, uh, are you growing your tilapia in big ponds or raceways indoors, or or how does that look? So it's a it's a gravity fed system. So um, I have tanks. They're twelve hundred gallons each tank, and I have three tanks that support each of my grow. I have three different grow systems, so I have three different systems. So they're elevated. They're big 1200 gallon tanks. Um, we right. do support, I would say some of the things that we have invested in that have made a big difference. So we have automatic feeders. Um, we actually took some pond feeders and retrofit them for our purposes. 
So that way we're dispensing feed in, I want to say right now it's in eight hour increments. Um, and it's great for us because we can time when the, those feeders go off and we can um, very finitely adjust how much feed we want to drop into each tank. It's not wildly sophisticated. I've been to some amazing aquaculture systems where they have a track in the roof of the fish house that, that moves from tank to tank and, and dispenses feed. Ours is a little less sophisticated than that. But having those automatic feeders does allow us to manage that mass balance much easier. Um, when we add water back into our system, because we do lose a little bit of water, you know, there's, there's evaporation, plants, you know, our, my plants take up quite a bit of water. We add back the water um, at the fish tank level and we, we have um, floats in there. So we've designated um, the level that I want in that fish tank when it gets low we'll add back, um, we'll add back well water, but it only adds back exactly what was taken out. And then I have um, water meters on there. So we do track our water add back. So every week, my aquaculture tech will, will go around and record how much water is, has been added back to the system. You know, our goal is minimal water add backs. That's, that's the beauty of, of this growing system is that all this water is continually recirculating. So when you look at hydroponic farming, aquaponic farming versus conventional ground farming, it's significantly between 90 and 95% less water usage. Right. And then on the hydroponic side, um, are you growing your plants in um, shallow basins with supplemental lighting and uh, automated greenhouses? Or what does that look like? We have pools. Each pool is 3,200 square feet. It has eight lanes in it and it holds 10,000 plants. So the way that, the way our process works, we start all of our seeds indoors in a seed nursery and that's the only place I have supplemental lighting. So we, they're in that seed nursery right now, it's seven to 10 days. Um, our current trials are, um, we're, we're gonna see if we can push that a little, a little further get them a little bigger in the, in the nursery. And then they go out into our, into our greenhouse. We have, um, we have very high, it's a fully enclosed greenhouse, but it's, um, it's got thrip screens on the side and it has curtains that come down. So it's a little different structure than you would see at Superior Fresh, which is more of a Dutch Gothic style greenhouse because they have snow, which we don't have. So, but we, so we have these very, very, very high hoops. It's important for us in Florida because of humidity to get maximum airflow through those greenhouses. So we have exhaust fans that, um, that, are, that are hooked to temperature and humidity sensors. So when those sensors hit a critical point, the exhaust fans go on. In the summertime, they're running 24-7. Um, and then I also have um, horizontal fans that are, that are helping with that airflow. Super important in airflow in the greenhouse helps mitigate that humidity. I mean, lettuce likes humidity. Um, in Florida, we have, in the summer, we have an excess amount of humidity. So it's like having a glass of wine versus two bottles of wine. Glass of mm. wine's good, two bottles, not so much. So, <laughs> so that's why we have, we, our, our houses are designed for maximum airflow. The orientation is um, maximum sunlight, east to west, airflow, north to south. 
Wow, you got a lot of things going on there, both on the fish side and on the hydroponic side. Can you say what your biggest challenges are in operating that system? I mean, what's the thing your staff spend the most time on in the production side? So I would say um, it's continually managing that mass balance, right? So there's the balance of the weight of the fish, how much they're being fed versus the cubic feet of the, of the coldest media. And what is that, what is that nutrient output? And, and it's not like a crock pot where you just set it and forget it because things change. So tilapia don't love the cold weather. It doesn't hurt them, but they don't eat as well in the cold weather. So if they're not eating as well, they're not eliminating as well. And that changes my nutrient output. So you're, it is something that, that definitely needs to be, needs to be managed. Anytime you have anything living in your system, whether it's your, your fish, your beneficial bacteria or your plants, got to really manage those oxygen levels. We have generators. So, it, you know, and the fish are the Achilles heel. We live in Florida. We have, we have hurricanes. Um, so we have a, a hurricane plan in place. We, we have generators on both of our buildings. Um, and then for hurricanes, we actually have backup generators for our generators because we have found if my if our fish lose oxygen for one hour that that's where the stress points begin if we lose if we lose power for one hour both the younger fish and the older fish get really stressed out and after four hours you'd lose the whole population so you really need to be mindful of of making sure that all your equipment's working um, that you have those backup generators and, and that you have that that hurricane plan in place not, not everyone's going to have to worry about hurricanes, but that's uh, tremendous. You know, as, as a first thing, I'd like to know who told you that uh, as an engineer, I just like to hear the word mass balance said by somebody else. <laughs> so you keep talking about mass balances. That's outstanding. Um, but, uh, and then generators to backup generators. That's another great thing. So, you know, that's the N plus one redundancy um, that is really an ideal in all recircling aquaculture systems, because, I've dealt with this in the past with clients where you say, okay, well, you know, you have your liquid oxygen is one backup and you have your backup generators, another backup, but what happens when, um, you know, something hits and the transfer switch on the generator doesn't work. Uh, what do you do next? And, you know, of course the, the engineer's answer is, well, you have another generator, but almost everybody excludes that. So I guess the hurricane risk is what causes people to put that in. That's new to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've got a really great operations team. So sitting down and just making those making those plans. I'm in a rural county, and I'm um, and I'm on a rural electric co-op. So love the love the rate per kilowatt hour. It's only eleven cents a kilowatt hour. It's it's not the most reliable system. So I really do need to have those generators in place. Our calculations say that we could go for up to two weeks off the grid powering um, just our critical components. And it sounds like a long time, but we had, had, we had a hurricane here. And it was 2018 when Irma came through and we were without power for five days. So we, we took advantage of that hurricane plan. Yeah, definitely a, a justified uh, capital improvement there with the backup to the backup generator. Um, let's talk a little bit about the industry. So there's been uh, some growth in the aquaponics industry, uh, Superior Fresh completed an expansion in 2021. 
just uh, recently, I saw a press release come across my desk that Upward Farms was going to have a major expansion in Pennsylvania. Um, how do you see the aquaponics industry landscape in the U.S. and how does Traders Hill Farm fit in? So I think that this growth in the aquaponics industry, it's, it's, it's very exciting. Aquaponics has, has not been on a, on a commercial scale until recently. So I think it's, it's very exciting. Um, the Superior Fresh operation is top shelf. Um, they're, they're a slightly different business model from, from Traders Hill Farm, you know, where we are very plant focused um, and the fish are our engine. Superior Fresh is, is more of a traditional balance in that, um, you know, their mission is to really to be the largest Atlantic salmon land-based farm in the world. And, um, and to do that, it, it is supported by a very large um, hydroponics operation of, of just excellent quality produce as well. And I'm really excited to see that, that uh, Jason Green, the CEO of, of Upward Farms is expanding into Pennsylvania, super sharp guy, um, a, lot of, a lot of science behind, behind their operation and, and really high quality products. Um, and then I saw just recently as well, entrepreneur Glenn Ford, I guess is big in, in the restaurant um, industry, is really excited about aquaponics and is um, putting a couple hundred million dollars into developing aquaponics facilities in the Midwest. So I think aquaponics, which used to be, people thought of it as a hobby business or it's something really kitschy that you had at your school or in the basement of your university is, is now going to be much more, um, much more commercial and it's much more exciting. So I, I, I think it's gonna play a bigger, a bigger role in, 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 the, in the food production landscape. I really like aquaponics. I, I will admit there have been times when I've wanted to throw in the towel and just go straight hydroponics and, um, and nix the fish. However, when you look at, when you're looking at the cost of fertilizers and inputs that are skyrocketing, it, it makes my fish look really appealing. And I think just the, the sustainability aspect of it, um, if, if we can get a movement and, and get interns and get people interested in it to, to keep progressing this on a commercial level, you'll start to see more of it. And it's pretty exciting. My perception is that there's always been a lot of interest in aquaponics and it's exactly what you said. It's uh, kind of kitschy. It was the little greenhouse that the university had out front of one of its buildings with fish and, and leafy greens in it. Um, but with the, your, your farm and Superior Fresh and Upward Farms and, and Springworks in Maine and a few others, we're starting to see that uh, increase in scale as you described. Um, what do you think was the difference? What, what do you think was the challenge that was overcome between that, you know, kind of those small uh, systems and now the, the larger systems? The challenge is like, like for us, a Trader's Hill Farm and Superior Fresh and and, and, and probably the, um, both Upward and Springworks, there isn't a playbook. There isn't an established playbook in terms of if you do this, you will get that. It, we're, we're, it's all learned by doing. And it's, an, it's a pretty expensive education. These, these are really large investments, not just in our capital infrastructure, but also in the R&D. Like what does it take? What grows best in this system? I will say for a coupled system, the leafy greens are great. If I wanted to grow tomatoes, 
I would have to make some changes to the way that I'm growing. I would want to decouple my system because leafy greens can have a very consistent nutrient load and you can over, you can overfeed lettuce and it'll be fine. Overfeed a tomato and, and it's not happening. So it's all that research that didn't exist until now. I think that the universities that are starting to look at aquaponics, such, you know, such as Cornell, such as um, University of Arizona that are like, oh, hey, this, this, is going to be a, this is going to be a thing. This is gonna offer our students a career that they're starting to put some of their intellectual um, capital behind this. That's what's gonna help move the industry forward. Great insight. So uh, what's next for you guys? Do you ever see partnering with some of the RAS farms that are out there? I mean, you can't be all too far from the largest land-based salmon project in the world, Atlantic Sapphire and Homestead. Um, have you thought about that? So I have thought about, I've thought about that. I have not acted on it yet, but, but I have thought about that. And, and I do feel that as the land-based farming becomes, um, as that industry grows, the hydroponic, aquaponic grow operation really could be a good marriage for that. So I do think that there's, there's some opportunity there. Um, Traders Hill Farm, our goal is to continue to grow. You know, what we're doing here on our site is, is just the beginning of where, of where we intend to grow. And I agree. I, I do think there's some real opportunities to you know, bring some of the aquaponics expertise to some of the folks who are focused on the land-based fish side. So whether it's um, whole oceans or Nordic aqua farms or Kingfish company, um, you know, they've spent their uh, time and, and capital on focusing on the fish side. And, and you know, if there's definitely opportunities in my mind for folks like you who have figured out how to uh, marry the systems and, um, and have that expertise on the leafy green and and other plant production side. You know, Tracy, you, you've been an outstanding guest. You've shared so much with us. I, I, I really want to thank you for that. Um, it's just been a, a tremendous education for me as someone who's primarily a fish guy. And I know our listeners will really appreciate hearing about Traders Hill Farm. For the folks out there listening, if you haven't been to tradershill.com, it has uh, their whole story and some of their great partnerships like Farm to Fork Connection, where they partner with local farms. Uh, some really uh, good and interesting videos there that kind of show what Tracy was talking about on her on her system side. So I highly encourage everyone to, to check out their website. So thank you, Tracy, for today's uh, episode. Well, thanks for having me, Brian. I really enjoyed it. Great. Don't forget that you can catch up to past episodes of the RAS Talk podcast by visiting RASTechmagazine.com or freshwaterinstitute.org and clicking on the RAS Talk link. Until next time, be well.